Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and happy Friday into the weekend for you. Thank you for listening to The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or afterwards, wherever you podcast. Thank you so much for doing that. Yesterday was crossover day in the Georgia General Assembly where bills that were formulated in the House were going to be crossed over to the Senate if passed and vice versa. We'll go over some of the more important and controversial measures that will now be looked at on either side with the potential for the governor's signature into law a little bit later. Today's a really important day here in Fulton County because we get closing arguments in the Fonnie Willis-Nathan Way disqualification arm of the Trump election interference case. Oddly enough, we haven't talked about the actual case in, hell, it seems like months. It's been quite a while, right? Again, I, I've said from pretty much the jump when, when these allegations came out, by the way, to do pay note, those of you who are uh, center or center right or right, I said all along I didn't like the the implications. Uh, I felt there was some ethical booginess, but I, at the end of the day, don't really believe that there's this conflict of interest that Ashley Merchant and uh, the other Trump co-defendants attorneys have been trying to allege. And I think that's what it's going to come down to. So closing arguments start today around one o'clock. There is no expectation, however, that Judge Scott McAfee will adjudicate or render a decision from the bench today, but it will be. Have your popcorn ready. Interesting to watch these closing arguments unfold. Each side will be given a set amount of time to present their arguments. There may be some additional evidence brought in. There's talk of Nathan Wade's cell phone records. There's talk of... The, the text messages that Ashley Merchant didn't come in with when she had the opportunity to grill Terrence Bradley uh, days ago, earlier in the week. There's the affidavit from the server at the winery in Napa Valley. The district attorney's office would like to introduce that and even have that fellow uh, by the name of uh, Stanley Herbert Brody. He's queued up, ready to testify if the court uh, wishes, we're told. So there, there could be some some more evidence brought in, but at the end of the day, uh, today is the uh, closing argument uh, opportunity for both sides. Uh, Tamar Hollerman at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution wrote a summation, uh, and my favorite part of this was the hints from Scott McAfee portion, where she writes, during many pretrial hearings in this case, McAfee has provided at least some indication of how he's leaning on the matters before him. But he's been notably silent on the removal question, saying only that disqualification of a prosecutor, quote, can occur if evidence is produced demonstrating an actual conflict or the appearance of one. She continues, McAfee is not expected to rule from the bench, but his remarks on Friday will be picked apart for any clues about how he's leaning. Close observers of the case have credited him for his even-keeled demeanor and ability to navigate through sticky situations. But some Willis supporters have criticized him for holding the evidentiary hearing in the first place, that is true, which they say 
has been used as a forum to smear the district attorney with little more than gossip. Much will depend on whether McAfee chooses to focus on an, quote, actual conflict or an appearance of one. The latter is a broader standard. He could turn to a 2005 Georgia Supreme Court ruling that found that a conflict exists when, quote, the prosecutor has acquired a personal interest or stake in the defendant's conviction. See, now that's a different question of conflict of interest. The conflict of interest that most folks are focused on is her hiring Nathan Wade for the financial benefit of hiring Nathan Wade, meaning, you know, he paying for all the travel. I I think she swatted that down with the testimony she gave that she paid back in cash. And should I point out, by the way, that on that note, there may actually be some anecdotal knowledge of that from Scott McAfee, who used to work for Fonnie Willis. I don't know, maybe he's seen her pay with cash before when they've gone out to a, a lunch or took a Uber or something along those lines. I, he, he may actually know of that. It's just a guesstimation there. Uh, in, in any event, with the winery attendant willing to provide an affidavit or uh, testify under oath uh, on her behalf on that case, it, I feel like that's going to be hard to prove or disprove. And, and that was, even, even if not the truth, uh, a deft response to the question of conflicts her benefiting from. And, and honestly, at the end of the day, whether whether she paid in cash or whether there was a paper trail or was it, she's a six-figure district attorney who can afford her own Royal Caribbean cruise. You know how I know that? Because I don't make six figures and I can afford, occasionally, a Royal Caribbean cruise. I can afford uh, to take a flight to California if need be. I've, I've done it. And I never, well, okay. I've only occasionally made six figures uh, in, in a year. And Fonnie Willis has made that on the regular. It's, it's kind of absurd on its face. But the question of whether or not she benefits with some sort of a personal interest or stake in the defendant's, plural, convictions, that's really hard to... Uh, she's, her profile's already risen just by taking the case guilt or innocence thereof, I mean, you've already got four who pled guilty and are now cooperating with the office. Does she benefit? See, that's that's murky gray area. Uh, The last uh, paragraph of this uh, article in the AJC, Tamar Hollerman writing, a July 2022 ruling from one of McAfee's colleagues could also help guide his thinking. Judge Robert McBurney disqualified the very same Fonnie Willis from investigating now Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones during an earlier phase of the election case due to a fundraiser she held for one of his Democratic opponents. Writing, the district attorney does not have to be apolitical, but our investigations do. And ironically, it's the one statement Fonnie Willis made under oath, uh, what, two weeks ago, that I think may actually be fodder for McAfee deciding against her Remember this? Your office objected to us getting um, Delta records for flights that you may have taken with no, Mr. Wade. I mean, I and, well, no, no, no. Look. Uh, I object to you getting records. You've been intrusive into people's personal lives. You're confused. You think I'm on trial. These people are on trial for trying to steal an election in 2020. I'm not on trial, no matter how hard you try to put me on trial. Just missing the word allegedly when she said on trial for trying to steal an election in 2020. She didn't say allegedly. 
I don't know. You could you could nitpick crosshairs. It'll be interesting to watch when that all goes down. Folks will be on YouTube or watching their preferred cable outlets to get uh, those closing arguments uh, via television today around one o'clock. Just go ahead and mark your calendars for that. That's not the only thing that Fonnie Willis is going to be paying attention to now. Uh, With crossover day again yesterday, uh, Senator Bill Cowsert was on lawmakers to discuss the special counsel that has been formulated by the Senate now with subpoena power to investigate, I don't know, district attorneys for things that Republican lawmakers under the Gold Dome would like to investigate district attorneys for. Uh, He gave this update, Bill Cowsert, yesterday on lawmakers. We had our organizational meeting a couple of weeks ago, got all the committee members together and we passed a set of rules that we'll be following during the course of our investigation. They were adopted unanimously and it it does give us the authority to subpoena witnesses for live testimony before the committee, to subpoena documents or tapes or recordings or other uh, items of interest to the committee. Uh, and that we will be meeting on a a periodic basis for the next few months. We expect to have a meeting next week and and hope to receive some testimony perhaps. Uh, We have just issued a subpoena uh, to Ashley Merchant, uh, who you may have seen on the news that has obtained quite a bit of information and we'd like to see uh, what information she may have uh, obtained. Uh, And some of it uh, people objected to and and was uh, maybe not admitted in the court proceeding, but may be relevant to us. Our mission is just to get to the truth, to find out what the facts are. And so we're going to go about that independently of the court system. Uh, So this will be our first step. But I would expect that we'll be having more people come testify before the committee and we'll be subpoenaing additional documents uh, as the investigation continues. And so can we expect any legislation from this committee? Hope so. That, of course, is our charge, is uh, to investigate this, learn the facts, and then determine whether we need to amend any existing statutes or create new statutes uh, to restore the public confidence in the criminal justice system. That's really what we're dealing with here. I mean, some of these just uh, outrageous allegations uh, and alleged misproprieties in conduct and perhaps financial improprieties uh, really undermine the public's faith and confidence in the fairness and impartiality of the criminal justice system. And so if there are ways we can help restore that by making new laws or amending existing laws to uh, to make it clear where the guardrails are ethically, uh, what's pr- proper for a prosecutor to do. Uh, you know, can you hire your lover, pay him $750,000, and then uh, benefit from mm-hmm. that by taking trips around the world? Uh, the public doesn't seem to think so, and we will find out. Does the law really allow that? Uh, and if it does, should we change that law so that we can uh, restore some confidence in the system? So that was a reporter, Sarah Callis, on the ground there under the Gold Dome at the Capitol, uh, talking with Senator Bill Cowsert, who, again, is going to be leading that special committee to investigate Georgia district attorneys, or specifically District Attorney Fonnie Willis on that. Her follow-up question, I think, was pretty important because uh, I think his answer provided some clues about what this panel can and can't do. It would appear that they may be toothless to do anything specifically to Fonnie Willis in this incident, but boy, did he, he like to, he, he threw the word lover in there and financial benefit. And uh, you know, remember, he also said independent of the court. So this is, 
one of these grandstandy feeling sort of scenarios. But he also did mention, as an answer to her follow-up question, that this may actually only give them the opportunity to either tinker with current law or to produce new legislation to deal with any sort of impropriety that they feel this situation fits going forward. I'd also argue that the American people's confidence in our court system might be strengthened if we didn't have a Supreme Court where people are sitting on the bench while personally, financially benefiting from being on the Supreme Court with, I don't know, bought houses for moms or six-figure RVs or lavish vacations, things of that ilk, just thinking out loud. Or perhaps seeing all the delay tactics, someone who we saw with our own eyes incited a riot on January 6th to avoid feeling the consequences of his actions. Hell, I have eroded confidence in our judicial system at this point. I mean, actually, I've always known that wealth and power worked for those in the court systems who had it. Anyway, back after this, the Ron Show on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. By the way, you can follow the Ron Show on any of your social media accounts at Ron Show ATL. I do not have a Ron Show TikTok yet. That's about the only one I can think of. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter X. Is that what we're calling now? Twitter X? X Twitter? <laughs> it's at Ron Show <clears throat> ATL. Uh, crossover Day and the Legislative uh, General Assembly session for 2024. Not all controversial. Oh, no. There was uh, some items that made it out of the House, for example, that aren't all that important, but seem to unify everyone. I'll let the clerk read this one for you. Article 1341 by Representative Saints of the 180th and others to be entitled an act to amend Article 3, Chapter 3, Title 50 of the Official Code of Georgia Annotated, relating to other state symbols, so as to designate white shrimp as the official official state crustacean. This bill I referred to the Committee on Special Rules. That committee recommends that this bill do pass. That's right. They wanted to vote on what the official crustacean for the state was going to be. And look at this harmony, bipartisanship. We all came together. Oh, boy. Do we really talk about this? Representative Stephen Sains from down in Glen and Camden County is recognized to present the bill on the coast. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And since we just talked about our film industry, I'll start with a quote by a, a very famous uh, film produced partially in South Georgia. Oh Shrimp God. is the fruit of the sea. Oh, my God. And it is uh, now going to be an official crustacean of this state. <laughs> There's many different ways to cook it, and regardless mm. of, of the ways you enjoy it, um, we know that the Georgia shrimpers are hardworking individuals, and okay. they have faced uh, uh, many market pressures from okay. our international okay. counterparts. Well, this is just one small way to recognize that while Georgia white shrimp are by far the best choice for Georgia consumers and all consumers across our, our nation, and we definitely appreciate uh, the, the STEM Academy and Effingham uh, College and Career right. Academy, Mr. John uh, Carcell's class. Uh, they were our junior house, uh, house uh, budget and research um, uh, aides who created this through their zoology class and, and did a school project and got the attention of a certain very honorable member of this body um, and, and presented to our committee. And we're very uh, pleased uh, that uh, this is coming before you for consideration at a very ample time. All right. Uh, with that, if I have no questions, I'll yield the well. Hang on. Here it comes. This is cute. Representative Nullowitz to your left has a question. The gentleman will yield. Does the gentleman yield? I do. 
Is it not true that these shrimp are so tasty, so delicious, and they literally don't even require a backbone mm. to support this legislation? Uh, mm. uh, unlike every member in this body, those shrimp don't have a backbone. You're correct. Mm. I'll yield for one more. No, I won't. <laughs> Representative Terry Nullowitz joining in. See, bipartisanship over white shrimp, now the uh, or soon to be the official crustacean for the state of Georgia. It wasn't all uh, plaudits and kumbayas, though, uh, in either chamber. There was, of course, House Bill 1105 introduced by uh, Representative Jesse Petrie. That is the uh, Georgia Criminal Alien Track and Report Act of 2024. Uh, essentially, that is the bill that would require local law enforcement to notify federal officials if they've detained an undocumented immigrant. Uh, Representative Stacey Evans was the first to speak in opposition to that. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Ladies and gentlemen, I rise in opposition to House Bill 1105, not because I excuse any crime, not because I believe in open borders. I believe if you do the crime, you do the time. I make no excuse for anyone who breaks the laws of our state. This law is about misguided priorities, and I believe once again, this body trying to draw the line of priorities for those in law enforcement. I trust those that bring the bill that say this is not about spewing hate or being less welcoming of immigrants, but I do believe it is about stepping on the feet, on the hands of law enforcement who are trying to deal with high crime. I'm concerned about crime. I know everyone in here is concerned about crime, and in that situation, I think law enforcement needs to prioritize their time and have control over their own policies and practices without worrying that if they, in their judgment, in the moment, in their communities, see fit to spend more time on the streets than dealing with ICE. Because ladies and gentlemen, priorities. Texas is a place where we know there has certainly been an influx of migrants. And the DOJ has stats available for Texas that says that citizens in Texas are two times more likely than an undocumented migrant to commit violent crime. I don't think that's out of whack with the rest of the country. And so if local law enforcement wants to focus on crime as a whole as opposed to further detaining migrants, I don't have a problem with that. But I recall a session not too long ago where there was a lot of talk about how Democrats wanted to defund the police. And we were very clear, nope, never supported a bill, never wrote a bill, never signed a bill, never supported a bill, never voted for a bill mm -hmm. to defund the police. But ladies and gentlemen, take a look at line 70 to 77. Defund the police. That's what this bill does. If we don't like what you do, funds from the sheriff are gone. Why don't we pick a better target? Like, one in four mass shooters are found to have been prohibited from possessing a firearm. So why don't we prioritize laws that crack down on that? Why don't we have punishments in place for um, gun stores that sell guns to folks they shouldn't sell them to? Why don't we do that? Why don't we put pressure in that way? 
Here's another one. 46% of mass shootings, the shooter was a current or former intimate partner or family member of the victim. That part. But yet year after year, women come down here. Talk about protecting women and women feeling safe. Year after year, we have begged for a bill that would empower law enforcement, not force law enforcement, mm -hmm. but empower law enforcement to get guns out of the house when there is a restraining order against a violent partner. Year after year, we don't even get to vote on it. 46% of mass shootings, the shooter was someone that the victim knew or had recently dated, and we do nothing. If we're going to try to hit a target and cut down on crime and protect women, let's do something that's actually going to do that. No red flag laws. So ladies and gentlemen, I'm not for crime. I'm not for open borders. I wish we did more to control the borders. I wish we did more to control crime. But if that's really our priority, if our priority is really cracking down on crime, really getting to the heart of why these crimes are happening, and really protecting women, House Bill 1105 barely touches the surface. Bingo. So let's get serious. We have the power to do it. Let's vote against this bill and bring up some real bills to protect the women and citizens of this state. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. All right, so with crossover day now in our rearview mirror, we start to see some actionable legislation having an opportunity to make it to the governor's desk. One of those would be SB 180, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, because you didn't know this, but religious freedom went away at some point in time when we weren't looking. And joining me to discuss this is uh, Jeff Graham, from, uh, the executive director at Georgia Equality. Jeff, thanks for joining me this morning. I appreciate that. Absolutely, Ron. It's my pleasure. So the Religious Freedom Restoration Act seems to be another one of these conservative maneuvers to almost codify, to allow for discrimination for, well, I mean, not just not just the LGBTQIA folks, but anyone who might be in the crosshairs of marginalization under the guise of religious freedom. Yeah, you are absolutely correct, um, and that is uh, why we have concerns uh, about it. Um, now, I do want to, you know, just say that, you know, uh, of course, we all believe, uh, you know, in, in religious freedom, protecting people's ability to believe and worship or not, right? Um, as they feel, um, uh, and and that's why it's enshrined in the First Amendment. Uh, it's it is a core value, I think, that we, that we all share as Americans, and in fact, when 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 this federal legislation was first passed uh, 30-some years ago, there were some strong reasons for that, to make sure that, uh, you know, the Supreme Court actually had issued some rulings uh, against uh, Native Americans uh, mm -hmm. for using peyote in their ceremonies, and, and they could not make it through drug tests. So that was the origins of the, of the Federal Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Um, but unfortunately, as courts have gotten more conservative um, and as uh, the far right has really reached uh, for more power, over the last 15 years, um, we've seen this used more and more often uh, by folks who did not want to follow civil rights laws or non-discrimination policies. And then when the Supreme Court issued their devastating ruling in the Hobby Lobby decision uh, that gave businesses the ability to have religious points of view, uh, that's what really began to change the, uh, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, or RIFRA, 
from uh, a shield of people of faith to a sword that is weaponized uh, religion as an excuse, uh, unfortunately, to, to discriminate against other people. Um, where this is especially troubling in a state like Georgia is because we are one of only three states that has no broad civil rights law or protection for any group of people. Mm -hmm. So if you create a carve out, a special right for any one group, in this instance, people of faith, automatically you create a loophole so that those folks can have a license to discriminate against others. And that's what we are most concerned about. We can talk more about that if you'd like. Well, I, I wanted to hone in on something that uh, in the Georgia quality response to the Senate bill passing uh, last night that I think was pretty alarming. Uh, it, you re it reads here, in other states, similar laws have been uh, used to deny access to preventative services under the Affordable Care Act, which include contraception, HIV prevention, such as PrEP and PEP, and other preventable services, including treatment for STIs and the HPV vaccine. This isn't just about denying folks an opportunity to sit at a restaurant and eat dinner or to, to adopt kids. This is about health care as well. Absolutely. And that's what we really want people to know about. And this is not a, a hypothetical case. Um, the supporters of this bill continue to talk about the federal RIFRA uh, in the glowing terms, again, that it, the, it was a great thing 30 years ago. Um, but this is actually a case, uh, Braidwood versus Becerra, um, uh, in, in the federal courts using the language of the federal RIFRA, which is, uh, for the most part, the language that they are trying to pass here in Georgia. And a federal judge ruled in support of a plaintiff, uh, a, an employer, who said he did not want to provide insurance to his employees that would cover contraception and HIV prevention medications, oh very God. specifically pre-exposure prophylaxis, because it went against his religious beliefs and would lead to immoral activity. What is to prevent someone from concocting a religion? I mean, literally, you and I could sit here and say, let's let's spell out what an, what, what what kind of religion we would like to be that yeah. just believes, you know, we're going to be in the treehouse, no girls allowed, and that is our religion. And now we can not hire women or deny women the right to use our... What prevents that sort of slippery slope from becoming reality? That is exactly what some of the challenge of this is. Um, I, you know, now, now, on a federal level, there are some federal uh, guardrails um, because there is a civil rights law. Uh, in uh, other states where RIFRA has passed, you have similar guardrails because they do have civil rights laws. And so there is something for courts to, to weigh and balance against. But because we don't have that here in Georgia, it really does put uh, potentially uh, employers, uh, local governments in the position of determining what is the difference between someone's closely held religious belief mm -hmm. and someone's bias or bigotry against another person. And the law does not describe that uh, or explain that. And lacking a civil rights law, you just don't know how this could be used here in Georgia. And there is case after case after case 
uh, where people have brought charges. Some of them they've won, some of them they've lost. But as State Senator Kim Jackson said in, in her incredibly passionate, emotional speech last night as she spoke about her own family, uh, the, the, if a court decides that the action was wrong two years in the future, that doesn't make up for the fact that someone uh, might be denied a service, like uh, a, someone uh, coming to pick them up uh, with roadside assistance and they see a bumper sticker on their car that they disagree with and so they refuse to provide that service to them because it, they say it offends them um, with their religious beliefs. Uh, that is an actual example of something that has uh, occurred elsewhere, being turned away from a motel, uh, being denied healthcare services. Um, and uh, in a case just from our neighbor state in South Carolina a few years ago, they were uh, a, a, an evangelical Christian adoption agency was granted an exception um, under the federal RIFRA uh, to turn away Jewish and Catholic prospective parents and volunteers because they weren't practicing the right religion for this adoption agency. So uh, there are some real threats. It has been, in my mind, misused uh, and weaponized uh, in many, many instances. And that's why we really need to reject this here in Georgia. Um, uh, if we want to give further protections uh, to people of faith, the better way to do that is to unify everyone around a broad civil rights bill, like the vast majority, 47 other states have done. Mm -hmm. It would be a very different conversation uh, if we uh, took that path forward, uh, rather than creating this license to discriminate, this broad potential license to discriminate. And I, I know the folks at Georgia Equality, you guys have been working hard to encourage your members, uh, to encourage, encourage those who follow you to reach out to their House members. Because, again, this cross, crossover day was yeah. yesterday, so this was a Senate bill that has now made it over to the House. And and the House and the Senate are completely different chambers and different makeup, but uh, the, the House needs to, to, to banty this bill around a little bit, too, before deciding on voting on it, before it even reaches the governor's desk. Any indication that the governor would sign this? Uh, Governor Kemp did say uh, when he ran for office the first time that he uh, he did indicate that he would sign a bill like this. Um, I do think it's important for folks to, to recognize that uh, you know, a decade ago was when we first started debating uh, this legislation here in Georgia. And over the last 10 years, there have been numerous versions and iterations of this bill that have been introduced. Um, and uh, they have always ultimately been rejected. Uh, so we hope that uh, I, you know, we will uh, we won't see further movement in the in the House. But we also know that uh, this is a very different legislature, a very different government uh, than what we've had in the past. Mm. It's much more conservative. And uh, this this uh, is an issue. The backers of this bill have just been uh, relentless. And it is now incredibly important for people of faith who reject this and for the 65% of Georgians that we know uh, feel that it's wrong for businesses 
to be able to use their private uh, religious beliefs as an excuse to withhold services or employment. Uh, it's time for the rest of Georgia to speak up and say that this is wrong. We're with Jeff Graham from Georgia Equality. And on that note, you actually had uh, faith leaders who were at the state capitol, uh, what is it, two days ago, to denounce this bill. Yeah, we've we've actually had, a, 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 over the years, a very strong uh, outpouring of opposition uh, from uh, a vast uh, diversity of, of faith leaders from uh, the Jewish tradition, multiple Christian denominations, uh, the uh, Episcopal diocese uh, issued a letter uh, saying that, that they wanted the legislature to reject this legislation. Uh, we had an editorial from two prominent clergy members uh, in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution a week ago. We have a sign-on letter that uh, well over 100 faith leaders from throughout the state of Georgia have signed. So uh, in addition to the folks that have shown up at the Capitol, there's there's uh, uh, literally uh, hundreds of, of faith leaders around the state that have spoken up against this. And we hope that their voices and their views will be considered as this legislation moves forward. Well, but we all know that they're the wrong kind of faith, Jeff. Uh, anyway, I want to move on to uh, SB 88, which sort of uh, opened up the door to uh, some language that would single out the topic of gender identity in schools. Georgia Equality obviously opposed it, and it died in the Senate. Kudos on that. Would you like to talk about that a little bit? Well, uh, it, it, it is a bill that uh, really uh, would uh, potentially stigmatize um, and lead to, to discrimination specifically of transgender kids. Uh, if kids ask questions or express to, to a teacher uh, that they may be questioning their gender identity, uh, you know, if that teacher is required to report that to their parents, that could create a very unsafe environment. Uh, for, for the child. Now, I'm glad to say that that's a bill that did not make it through crossover yep. day. So uh, we we will, uh, in, in fact, uh, out of roughly uh, two dozen bills that uh, various groups were tracking that could have a harmful effect on the LGBT community here in Georgia, uh, we are down now to uh, only about three that we need to specifically watch because they made it to crossover day. Now, of course, uh, the rules in Georgia can sometimes be a little loose. The language of those bills could be tacked on to other bills as amendments, or sometimes uh, just become substitute language uh, in the final days of the legislative session. So we need to continue to monitor and be very vigilant over the next month. And while SB 88 did not make it, we did see some action from the Georgia Supreme Court earlier, or last month, actually, it's March now, uh, I have to remind myself, uh, that uh, the, the the school teacher in Cobb County, Katie Rinderley, who let her students read an innocuous little book that was just all about inclusivity, uh, she actually did not uh, fare well under the Georgia Supreme Court, and she's filed lawsuits now uh, against the yeah. county school board to seek some compensation for her rights being uh, violated. So we're still seeing at the local and at the state level some opposition and some legislation even to deal with libraries, librarians, and books that they allow in their libraries, whether it be school or public libraries. So that's something else to keep an eye on as well. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, there, there was a bill that made it out of the Senate. 
yesterday, um, uh, Senate Bill 532, I believe uh, it is, that uh, would actually um, uh, pull state funding from any library that uh, uh, joins the American Library Association. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the highly recognized <laughs> association for librarians around the country. Uh, they they uh, uh, promote access to a variety of thoughts. Uh, they they work against censorship, um, and and that just rubbed some folks down at the Capitol the wrong way. Because uh, they're a Marxist socialist center. organization, Jeff. Didn't you know that? Organization, yes. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so that's another bill. Um, and this year, uh, there were there have been so many bills introduced. Uh, looking at access to libraries, really censoring uh, access to, to, to libraries, uh, criminalizing librarians uh, with potential fines, uh, looking at, at school curriculum. Um, I, again, I believe that uh, luckily most of them did not make it through crossover day. Mm -hmm. uh, we're still assessing there uh, were lots of bills. The Senate went until about uh, nine o'clock last night, the House went till almost midnight, but there there really is a wave of folks pushing really restrictions on, on free thought, censorship of uh, young people mm -hmm. uh, and what kids are taught in schools. And we've seen what a disaster this has been down in Florida, where Governor DeSantis uh, hoped to become president by pushing this censorship. And when that fell apart, he's now uh, seems to be struggling in, in Florida to uh, walk away from the very policies that he tried to push mm -hmm. um, and the environment that he tried to create in Florida. So uh, Georgia's better than that. We need to make sure that uh, we can still be very proud to be Georgians. If we need to work on the educational system, let's get our literacy rates up. Let's right. make sure that teachers and educators have the support and the pay that they need uh, in these in these jobs. Let's not continue to create a more hostile environment uh, for educators at all levels, and a hostile environment for students, especially students uh, that may not be like uh, the mainstream idea that some conservative lawmakers feel students should be. All right, more with Executive Director Jeff Graham of Georgia Equality. It is an election year, so we've got to prime everybody for that. Stand by. If you are listening to The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, and you're like, uh, I only got in partway through, I want to hear the whole conversation, you can do that when you subscribe or follow The Ron Show on whatever your podcast platform is. Just search for The Ron Show and do so. We're with Jeff Graham, Executive Director at Georgia Equality. And by the way, let's let's tip a cap a little bit for you guys here. Uh, we had a Pride at the Capitol a day earlier this week, and uh, Georgia Equality has been advocating against a lot of this legislation for quite a while. Uh, you guys are constantly on the job, guys and gals and all in between, yeah. are, are constantly on the job to stay uh, in legislature's ear to uh, to advocate uh, on behalf of the LGBTQIA plus and all marginalized Georgians. So a tip of the cap to you guys for working so hard this legislative session before and after, of course, as well. Thanks, Ron. I appreciate it. And, you know, we've got some, some amazing allies from uh, national LGBT organizations like uh, Human Rights Campaign, Lambda Legal, uh, to more regional local efforts, uh, ACLU of Georgia, Southern Poverty Law Center, uh, pride organizations from around the state. There were uh, uh, 
uh, you know, reproductive justice organizations uh, uh, like Sister Song, uh, Feminist Women's Health Center, um, New Georgia Project, uh, Planned Parenthood. I, it, it, it really is um, uh, uh, an, an army of folks down there working side by side to protect all Georgians against discrimination and to make sure that we can all be proud of the state that we live in. And uh, I think that's the message that people need to know uh, that as bad as the headlines can seem, as relentless as these attacks are, uh, we are always far more successful uh, in beating back some of the worst legislation. We are not 100% successful. It's still a very conservative state. But um, uh, when we work together, we know we have a better chance of succeeding. And all of these organizations work so closely down at the Capitol not just to protect the LGBT community, but to protect all marginalized communities and all people who fear uh, and worry about discrimination in accessing healthcare, employment, um, housing, and public accommodations. And honestly, that's what's so frustrating. Uh, you, you you keep saying that Georgia is a very conservative state. It actually isn't. It's just that the, the way the way uh, lines are gerrymandered, we sure. don't see that bear out at the uh, at the uh, state house level. We or very, we have a we have a, a, a government that is far more conservative <laughs> yes. uh, than the very moderate uh, population of the state of Georgia. And again, public poll after public poll uh, proves that out. And uh, you know, the last several election cycles have, have mm-hmm. proven that to be true as as well. Um, and but I think this is a good opportunity to for the future. I think this is a good opportunity to point out, by the way, that we're in an election year. And so the work's not done when the legislature uh, is done here at the state dome. And I know Georgia Equality is going to be working hard to uh, to get out the vote and to advocate on behalf of uh, candidates and causes that are meaningful this election cycle. Absolutely. You know, uh, everybody knows that, that it's a presidential uh, election year, but what uh, some folks may not realize is that we will have uh, the ability to elect new state representatives, state senators, uh, as well as uh, judges being on the ballot. Uh, a lot of those municipal races, judicial races, those will all be on the ballot in May. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so folks need to start paying attention now qualifying for office happens next week uh we did have redistricting that took place in november Mm -hmm. so uh district lines are different than where they were in 2022 uh people do need to make sure that they are registered make sure that they come out early voting starts the very end of april goes through uh to the middle of may um know who is on your ballot um, and uh, make sure that you are educated on their position on the issues that matter most to you. Yes, the presidential race is critical for the future of our country, but our day-to-day lives are uh, impacted much more heavily by the people we elect uh, to, at the state legislature, into local county commissions, city councils, and school boards, and the judges that preside over local cases. So those races, so many of them will be decided this year, some in May, some in November. 
make sure that you are supporting those who support you. And a lot of resources, by the way, available for those who have questions at georgiaequality.org. Jeff Graham, Executive Director of Georgia Equality. Thank you so much for joining me on The Ron Show this morning. Have yourself a great weekend, okay? Thanks, Ron. You too. All right, that'll do it for The Ron Show for the day. I'll try and keep an eye on the closing arguments in the Fonnie Willis-Nathan Wade disqualification efforts, and we'll keep you updated. Again, follow the show on your social media preferences, uh, Facebook, Twitter, X, Instagram, at Ron Show ATL, and we'll try and keep you updated on any breaking news as that comes. Off to do my day job as a residential realtor. By the way, Ron on the real, R-E-A-L dot com, at Ron on the real, if you'd like to hit me up and discuss questions you have about the real estate market, or if you or someone you know is moving into or out of the metro Atlanta area, actually, no matter where they are, if they need a realtor referral, I can help them out with that as well. All right, I'm going to stop shilling for myself a little bit and tell you guys to have a great weekend. Back on Monday, 9 to 10 a.m. on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, and then afterwards, wherever you podcast. And coming soon to the Progressive Voices Network. Download that app and be ready for me there as well. Have a good one. See you next time.